0: Can you believe we are seven days away from Christmas? Uh, Men, this is your seven-day warning. I I stress out every year. Can I just have a little side moment here? Love My wife, can we get a round of applause for my wife? She is the champion. She shops for everybody. She wraps everything. And uh, she thinks about everything Christmas morning. I'm like, what do we get the kids, you know? I'm that guy, I'm Paul, I know it's hard to, con- I'm just confessing, you know, Wendy does everything, she spent seven hours the other day wrapping presents, just loving on our kids and our family, and I have one person to buy for, <laughs> and I stress about it every year, I'm like last minute, frantic, stressing out, give me a list, you know, and uh, this is your warning man, you got one, you got seven days to figure that out and uh, to show up ready to go, but uh, I am just so grateful for Christmas, I love this time of the year, I love that we get to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. I love that we get to eat chocolates every day as we go through our Advent calendars. And, uh, you know, as I was saying, growing up, Advent for us meant chocolate. Like, that's kind of all we referenced growing up as kids. We, we, we kind of, the, the, the whole liturgy of candle lighting and, and preparing for Christmas through reading and through scripture and through liturgy was kind of lost on us growing up. We grew up in church, but we just didn't do that, that tradition. And so, you know, Advent meant chocolate, and that was always really great. So only my recent years, as we look back and realize that Advent is much more than chocolate. You know, it's much more than the countdown to more gifts or the bigger chocolate. There's something really special about it. And so we've been diving into this idea of Advent, what that actually looks like. And so today we're going to talk about that again today. And if you have, if you want to follow along, just a reminder real quick that our, all of our notes are in version. Uh, The UVersion Events app. I love UVersion Events. They are constantly, or UVersion, the Bible app itself, constantly doing updates, constantly making it way easier for you and I to engage in God's Word as a discipline. And I really want you to do it. But all of our notes are there. If you go to the Events tab, you can find our church and you can make your own notes. You can add to them and save them for later. And uh, so I, I love that. But we are in the season of Advent. And what is Advent? Well, Advent is a season of celebration. And the anticipation of the coming of Jesus, right? It's a season of celebration as we look back and celebrate when Jesus broke through heaven and came into earth as a baby to bring hope and peace and joy and love to a broken humanity. But it's also a time of anticipation as we look forward to when he's going to return, not just as a baby, but as a coming King And we get to stand in the middle. In the previous years, they were looking, Advent, they were looking forward to the first arrival. We get to celebrate the first arrival, but also now look forward to the second arrival. The Advent, the first week, we talked about the anticipation of joy, recognizing the joy is not the absence of strife or struggle, but actually joy flows out of of thanksgiving, thanksgiving and being fully present with God and and being in presence of God. Last week, we talked about the confession of hope. Our confession of hope, realizing that Christian hope is specific and it's certain, it's communal and it's rooted in the promise of God. And so today what we're going to do is talk about one of those promises, the promise of peace, the promise of peace. I was reminded about the story, or the, it's not really a story, the moment, the account, the historical account that happened on December the 21st, 24th, 1914, maybe some of you know this story. It was five months into the war, World War Two, with the Britons against Germans, and they were at, they were at a standstill. They were they, they something that took the took the world by surprise as both sides ran out of men and munitions, and the commanders reconsidered their strategies. Soldiers emerged from their bloody, muddy trenches in peace. This is and called for a Christmas truce. There's a story. It's been said that men from both sides ventured into no man's land into the gap in the middle and to exchange Christmas greetings, to, to exchange Christmas souvenirs, and even to sing some Christmas carols. Other reports said that these men gathered and even played some football, not American football, British football, some soccer. They played some soccer as they were waiting. One of the most memorable images of truth, tr- the truce in any war. While hostility still continued in some areas, these units arranged a temporary ceasefire to engage in a few days of Christmas peace. It's beautiful. It's an amazing story. See, peace is a common word that's it's common in all languages. People talk about peace. They, they talk about treaties. They, they talk about times of peace. And, they, it, and it, sometimes it can mean the absence of war. In, in the Bible, it can actually mean the absence of conflict. But more, 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 in more instances than not, it actually points to the presence of something Far better, something of better in its place. You see, the Old Testament word for peace, some of us would know this, is shalom. It's a word that they use often. It's every time you greet in greeting in Israel, they use shalom. And that word shalom means to be complete or to be whole. It speaks to this idea of being safe. It speaks to this idea of being sound. It speaks to the idea of being in perfect completion or not lacking lacking nothing. It's a word that can refer to a stone that is in a perfect shape without any crack or divots or, or, or anything missing. It also speaks to a stone wall, a stone wall that's actually not missing any stones. There's no gaps in the wall. It is complete. It is whole. Shalom refers to something that is complex, something that has a lot of moving pieces, a lot of pieces, but it's in the state of completeness. It's in the state of wholeness. You see, the state of shalom, the state of peace, is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate. It was their role as kings, just to cultivate it. But it rarely happens. You just have to read the story of Israel. You go through the kings, first and second Kings, and go through the Chronicles, and you realize really, really quickly this reoccurring phrase. Once again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like It's just like this reoccurring generational problem. That even though the kings and the judges and the rulers of Israel are supposed to lead their people towards completeness and wholeness, every one of them, as good as they were, always fell short. They always fell short. And we go back into this recurring problem that once again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so through divine revelation, the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, a prince of peace prophesying his reign would bring shalom, would bring peace with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of peace to his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that has been broken. We read this verse already this morning in our Advent reading, but we're going to go back to it again in Isaiah, in verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, but we're going to read verse 2 real quick. And it says, For the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of darkness a light has dawned what's this light well for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace of the greatness of his government there and peace there will be no end come on there's no end to this this is going to last forever and ever he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's this beautiful passage of Scripture that we know so well, but Christmas is a time for peace, isn't it? It's that time that we hold on to. Every one of us long for that state of peace, but something about the Christmas season, something about the holiday seasons, we we yearn for it a little bit more. It's something with family. It says, we, let's put aside our differences even just for one day. Let's put aside our strife even for one day. We try, we hope, we hope for, we, we cling to. It's a the theme of Christmas, and we all long for this reality, this hope, or this state of peace in our life. And so what I want to do today in our time together is just show three areas that we can experience God's peace today. I, I just pray that every one of us could experience a, a fresh revelation or a fresh understanding of God's peace. If you're like me, can we be honest? Sometimes we come to church and we hear a familiar verse or we hear a familiar theme and we just say, well, I already know that. <laughs> I already know that. We kind of t- zone out a little bit. But I'm praying as we open God's Word that it, God, God's Word is living. It's alive. It's going to speak to you. And I pray that as we start, as we go through these things, that you'd allow God to speak to you with a fresh revelation. And maybe pinpoint an area in your life where you need the peace of God in a new way, in a fresh way today. So the first area that we can experience the peace of God is that we can experience the peace with God. Christmas means that we can have actually peace with God. This is the best part of it. This this is where it all begins. See, Jesus came to make peace between us and God. He, He came into the world to be that bridge. Isaiah talked about a people walking in darkness. Okay, well, he wasn't just talking about the people of Israel. He wasn't just talking about, he was talking about all people. He was, he was speaking for to humanity. We are a people lost in darkness. And I don't know, sometimes we can, our eyes that adjust to the darkness, and we get to see a little bit of shapes and shadows that we can meander our way through in the darkness. But don't get wrong. Don't, don't be deceived. We are living in darkness in this culture we are surrounded by darkness and, and he's speaking to us as a people, this is our, this is who we are apart from Christ wandering around in the darkness, meandering through life, hoping to find a way. So Jesus didn't come so that God could love us more. He didn't, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God loves us as we are. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't come in the world so God could love us more. Jesus came into the world so that, and to, to rescue us and to forgive us so that we could love God in return. He gave us the opportunity to love God in return. He gave us the opportunity to, to be away in relationship and communion with a holy God. This is the peace that we get to have through Christ. So Jesus was born to die. This is, this is the heart's reality of Scripture is that Christmas is just part one of a two-part story. That He came into this world as a baby to die as a king for you and I, in our place, to die and take on the sins. And and a lot of times we say, well, why did Jesus have to die? If God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, why couldn't he kind of do it a different way? Why did Jesus come and have to be born to die for us to experience peace? You see, to forgive someone is to forego payment. It is to absorb loss. There is always a cost to, to debt. There's always a cost to hurt, and somebody has to pay. You see, when we retaliate, when we get hurt, when we retaliate, it's because we're trying to regain something that was lost or taken from us, right? It's why we often refer to revenge as payback. You took something from me. I want to take something back from you. Oftentimes, this plays it out in an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, right? We heard that phrase. Sometimes it takes place In the silent treatment, it looks like silent treatment. I'm going to rob myself from you. I want to try to absorb something that was taken from me. I'm going to block you on social media. A little passive-aggressive move, you know. I'm going to block you on social media. I'm going to try to absorb some power back in my life. Other times it looks like gossip or we try to dismantle or destroy or we try to cancel one another amongst our peers or our coworkers. But make no mistake, when we are wronged, when we are hurt, when we are sinned against, our natural, our default response is to seek payment for the offense. To absorb some kind of loss, to try to absorb some loss. It's our default sinfulness needed to be forgiven. This is the reality that we come into. Our default sinfulness, our selfishness, our hurt, our, our, the debt that we owed needed to be paid. Somebody had to absorb the payment. Somebody had to absorb the cost. It doesn't just go away. Somebody had to take it. And so when you and I forgive somebody, we are absorbing the payment, right? We're absorbing the loss. We're not saying, you don't, it's not payback. It's, I'm, I'm absorbing it because of what God has done for me. I'm choosing to forgive. And so Isaiah, he continues to write in 53. And remember, this is him prophesying. This is him speaking towards one day. We look at this on the other side. Of the cross. And so we get to look back and see how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. But here, 700 years prior, Isaiah is prophesying about this sin, this Prince of Peace who's going to come, who's going to take on the sins of the world. And we see it in Isaiah 53, six, 5 and 6. He says, And he will be pierced. He will be pierced for our transactions, transgressions. And he will be crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, will be the chastisement, which means the corporal punishment or, or the physical discipline or, or the unpaid debt. Upon him will be all of our unpaid debt that brings us peace. Like it's going to be put on him so that we can have peace. I mean, all of, all, and, so, and, and is by his wounds, we will be healed. We are all like sheep. We've all gone astray, meaning we're all living in darkness, right? We're all living in darkness, each to their own way. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So here's the good news that we can lean into today. Is if you have been forgiven, if you have been set free, if you are in a relationship with Jesus and you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, you have, Jesus has become your burden bearer and you can have peace with God. Not because of anything you have done, but because of all what Jesus did on the cross. Our relationship with God through Jesus brings us peace peace. He took our sin and we took his record. Right? He took our sin upon him and we took his record of being blameless in the eyes of God through Jesus. So this morning you can have peace with God. Christmas also means today that you can have peace with others. You can have peace with others. Peace takes a lot of work because it doesn't just it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires Taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. Whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in the world. And, and this is a biblical rich concept of peace. And so through Christ we don't just have the capacity to experience peace. But hear me now. We have, the, we have been called to live in peace with others. Peaceful people don't go to war with their words or their actions. But rather develop a deep well of confidence in the gospel of grace that we have first received. We have Received. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome, and he's challenging them in this area. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Right off the hop, you know this is going to be a challenging text, right? Like when he starts the text, like, Bless those who hurt you, bless those who persecute you, bless those who are trying to harm you, you know this isn't going to go the way you want it to go. This is going in a different direction. You have to swallow, like a big swallow, right? Like, okay, here we go, Lord. Like, Okay, I've received your peace. Now help me experience, express that peace. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who, and, and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with those you love. No, no, no. Live in harmony with anyone, with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. I mean, don't discriminate against one another, but embrace all people do not be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if at all possible, I love this, as far as it depends on you, like if it's all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, I love how it says that, because everyone includes your enemies, Everyone includes those who are actually actively trying to take you out, actively trying to hurt you, actively trying to gossip about you, actively speaking slander against you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's easy to live at peace with those who are living at peace with you. Not so much so when you're living with somebody who's at conflict with you. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. That's another hard one to swallow, isn't it? We want to repay, right? Something was taken from me, right? I, I, something was taken from me. I want to absorb the loss. I want payback. I want retribution. We don't call it revenge because we're Christian. We call it justice. But it means the same thing in our minds, right? Essentially, we want them to hurt the same way they hurt us. That's, that's our default response. But Paul's telling them, no, 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 you're, you're different. You're called to live different. He says, don't take revenge. It's mine, to, it's mine to repay, says the Lord. He's quoting Deuteronomy. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. For do not, overcome, uh, do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not let the ways of this world challenge you to live the way of the world. Don't, don't be overcome by your natural defaulted response. But overcome evil with good. See, there's a lot of scripture. There's sometimes you read a scripture and like, okay, we need to unpack that. We need to break that down. We need to get some context. We need to get some clarity. Then there's other scriptures where you just have to read it and everyone knows exactly what we're saying. And this is one of those scriptures. You don't need someone to tell you exactly what this means. You just got to allow yourself to hear it and apply it and live it out. And how many people know, you don't have to show of hands, you can't do this on your own. Uh, you can't do it on your own. You need people around you. You need the grace of God in your life. You need to receive the peace of God for you. But then you need other people who are going to hold you to that peace. They're going to Other people who are going to encourage you along the way because this is hard work. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. So com- Paul commands us to live at peace with those around us. Real quick, three practical ways I want to help us live with peace with everyone. Three ways. One is that we overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good. It's real simple, it's real practical. It's a posture of being good, wanting what's best for others. We want what's best for others. This is one of the fruits of the spirit, is goodness is a fruit of the spirit. People who are good don't just do the right thing, but they actually make things right. Right? They don't just do what's right, they actually make things right. It's not just a, a defensive position, but it's an offensive position. I'm leaning into it to make it right even when no one is looking. Right? It's not for my own reward. It's not for my own boast. It's not to show how, how, how spiritual I am. I'm doing it even when no one is looking. God steps into the gap to make peace with us. This is the beautiful thing. God steps into the gap to make peace with us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. What does this mean? It means that our responsibility is to make peace, to actively make peace. We have to go to those who are hurting us. We have to actively go to them, what does Romans five eight says is that while God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, while we were still far away from God, while we were living in darkness, while we were an enemy of God, God sent His Son into the world to build a bridge and build and make peace with us. So, if we're chosen to make peace with everybody, we have to receive the peace of God. But then we have to step into the situation of crisis, of conflict, of strife to begin to make peace with those in our life, as far as it depends on us. It's different than just sitting here and saying, well, if they, if, if they submit and humble themselves and come to me, then I'll think about making peace with them. Because that's our approach, right? sounds spiritual, it sounds Christian, but it's wrong. Can I be blunt? That's not how Jesus, like, Paul's saying, no, you have to go to them. You have to make peace with them. You have to be active in, the, in your approach. You have to be, a, you have to be on, on the offense of this. That's a lot harder to do, isn't it? So as far as it depends on you to be good, it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about making things right, being, being taking the attitude of Christ and not just waiting for them to come to us. I'm so grateful that God didn't wait for us to come to him, but he came to me. He came to you while you were still a sinner, while you were an enemy of God, God sent his son to you to make peace. It's your responsibility. What you're going to do with that is on you. But he's come to you. He's built the bridge. And so the first thing we need to do is overcome evil with good. We have to be on the offense. Secondly, we need to come with humility, right? We come with humility. We don't just assume we have all the facts, right? We, 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 we show up ready to listen and to learn and to seek understanding not to be right? But to, be, but to understand what's going on. James tells us in one, James 1.19, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. I love how he says take note of this. It means write this down. <laughs> write this down. Don't forget this. Take note. Take note of this. There's going to be a lot of things they're going to say you may forget, but this one thing, take note of it. Write it down. Paper never forgets, friends. Paper never forgets, all right? Write it down. Just don't lose the paper, all right? Everyone should be Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I know we know this a lot. We say this all the time. God's given us two years and one mouth for a reason. Right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce righteousness. Human anger does not produce the goodness, right? We need the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be good. It does not produce what God desires see our default response does not produce within us the ability to overcome evil with good so we need to develop a discipline of active listening not just listening to be heard what's active listening look like you know so it's one of these things is eye contact is a great way to start with active listening it's one thing i'm learning you know i feel like i can listen to my wife and watch tv at the same time 25 20 years later still trying to master that it doesn't work you know, turn the TV, when we go to restaurants, I, my wife helps me with this now, is that I have to sit with my back towards the TV, because if there's a TV somewhere in the restaurant with moving pictures, that's my, I'm, I'm, I'm fixated, I'm like, I'm drawn to it, my wife's where I'm in conversation, you know, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, missing everything, and I don't mean to, it's like I'm intentionally trying to, I'm just, I'm weak, guys, I'm weak, all right, confessing, I'm weak, you know. It's eye contact. It's muting to taking away distractions and actually engaging. It's listening and then repeating what you heard. So what I hear you saying is, and then she'll say, no, that's not exactly what I said at all, you know. But we engage in active listening. Listen and be kind. Come with humility. Don't assume you have all the facts. Thirdly, we take our own responsibility. We take responsibility as far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on you, meaning you can't control how others respond. You can't control what other people do. You can't control how other people say, but you can control your actions. You can, you can control what you do. How they respond is not your responsibility, but how you do respond is your own. Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, meaning God's work, God's gonna work in there somehow. He may offer discipline or he may offer correction, but God is gonna work on your behalf. Let him do the work. Don't work, don't, you don't have to work for God. You don't have to defend God. It's mine to avenge, he says. Listen, we gotta trust God with the situation. Submit the situation to God. Allow, let, allow God to work on our heart, but then trust the situation to God. You see, some things just have to be left to God to work out. You see, so Christians, as Christ, Christmas means that we can experience peace with God, it also means we can experience peace with others. And last one, real quick, and come on up, Ashley, is this, is that Christmas means we can have peace Within, it means we can have peace within. And here's there, here's the thing: as we've been wrestling through this, and it's kind of the world we live in right now, is that how many of us live with torment? With torment, how many of us live in anxiety? How many of us live in, live in worry? How many of us live in doubt and fear? Anxiety is on the is running rampant. It is on the rise. It used to be that it used to be a kid and have no worry in the world. Remember those days? No worry in the world. The only thing I worried about was that, is mom making dinner. And even at that, I didn't even worry about that because I just knew it was going to happen. Now, our kids are riddled with worry and anxiety and stress. They're consumed by it. And we don't really know how to deal with it. We don't know how to help them. It is the fruit of our culture. I remember a day, and, but here's the thing, is that there's a promise that we can have peace that passes understanding. This is the promise, that we can actually experience peace within. We see in Philippians, a letter to the church in Philippi, this is Paul speaking again, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why does he say rejoice? Because worry, as has been said, is, wor- is, wor- is worship, rather, is worry in reverse. Worry is worship in reverse. Worship is when we cast all of our cares and our focuses on God. Worry is when we consume it into ourselves, right? So he says, rejoice. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on God. Rejoice and be glad. Let your gen- let let your gentleness, the goodness, the fruit of the spirit, be evident to all. The Lord is near. So he says, do don't, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving present your request to God why so that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so how can you be so steady how can you be so sure how can you be so confident there's something about this idea of leaning in and allowing God to consume you you think about the the stories of Joseph or or Shadrach Meshach and Abednego or, or Daniel or the Apostles who were martyred and went to the desk Death peacefully. What happened in their hearts? Why did they experience the peace of God when we read their stories and it was anything but peaceful? It was anything but without strife. It was full of conflict. It was full of strife and tension, but yet these men of God and women of God lived in peace. I heard a pastor speak about this this week and I was thought about it, I just want to share it. And there was this principal thought, I believe it's so real to us today, and here's the thought how you treat God determines on how you'll experience God's peace. Listen, it's there to experience. It's there to be known. It's there to be true. But how you treat God, how you treat God will will determine how you experience God's peace. What do I mean by that? Well, if you treat God, as Philippians 4 talks about, as a sanctuary, as a refuge, as a place to run to, to hide in, to abide with, If you treat God as a place of refuge, a place of security, then guess what? You will experience him as a place of refuge. You will experience him as a place of sanctuary. You will experience him as a place of security and peace. And you will know and find God's peace as you run to the Father. But if you dismiss God, if you belittle God, if you make him weak and powerless and distant and you run to other sources in hard times and to numb out the pain, you, you run to social media or you run to the next Netflix show or you run to any kind of substance or addiction. If that's your first run when, when things get tough and things get hard, then you're going to look to God as powerless. You're not going to see the presence of God as something that you can find peace in because you have not viewed him that way. He's just the thing on the side that we talk about on Sunday but really has no impact in my life. And I'm here to tell you, if you view God as a source of refuge, if you run to Him and you cast all your cares upon Him and you allow His peace to surpass, to, to transcend your mind, to pass all understanding, you will experience God's peace today. You will have peace within. Does that mean all your troubles are gonna go away? No, and any pastor who tell you differently is wrong. It's actually gonna get harder. <laughs> I mean other than John every other Apostle died a pretty brutal death and John survived being boiled alive like you know he didn't he didn't he ended you know his life on his own but he had a rough go like living for Jesus is not going to guarantee peace without but you will guarantee peace within when you look to Jesus as a as a refuge as your sanctuary as your place of hope then you will have a peace as, as Paul says, that transcends all understanding. And listen, Paul is not someone who's just making this up. Paul is someone who's lived the hard life, who's been persecuted and imprisoned and, 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 and tortured. He's experienced that, the, the roughness, at the parts of this life, but in all that, he experienced the peace of God. And he's letting you know, listen, you can experience the peace of God if you cast all your cares on him. See, peace is not the absence of struggle, but peace is the presence of God, It's the presence of God. And you and I get to hold the presence of God. I love Isaiah, he says again in Isaiah 26, he says this, here's the promise. If you will will keep in perfect peace, you will keep in perfect shalom, you'll keep in perfect completion, you'll keep in perfect wholeness, all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Listen, we'll experience the peace of God if we fix our thoughts on him, Build our trust in Him. How do you build trust? Relationship? Time? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you allowing the relationship to form trust? Are you fixing your thoughts on him? Is he becoming the first? Are you running to other areas? Are You're gonna run to him. Listen, you want to experience the peace of God, you gotta do the work. You gotta trust him. You gotta fix your thoughts on him. And you will then experience a the peace that transcends all understanding. experience the peace of God today. Have peace with God, have peace with others, and have peace within. This is the hope that we can cling to. This is the promise of peace that's available to you and I if we so choose to receive it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. God, we thank you that you saw us as we were. You saw us in our brokenness. You saw us in our You saw us in our sin. You saw us in our selfishness. And Lord, you came to us to bring peace to us. You came into our world. You loved us as we were, and you loved us too much to leave us the way we are, so you created a way back to a holy God, back to a Father. And so, God, today we just thank you that we can experience peace because of you. We can experience peace with you because of what Jesus, the burden that Jesus took, the, the iniquity that has been laid on him, the, the punishment, that what was owed through our sin was placed on him so that we can experience the peace of God. Father, give us, I pray that you would help us as we navigate peace with one another, Lord, that we would be people of peace, that we would actively work towards peace, that we wouldn't just be passively peacemakers, but God, we would be actively working towards peace in our situations in our families in our homes in our in our in our in our communities in our workplaces God that we'd be people who are actively looking to make peace to bring peace through Christ and ultimately Lord we would experience peace within so that all that comes out of us would be an overflow of what you're doing in us. Lord we need you today our hearts desire you we, we recognize that this world is full of anxiety and struf, strife and struggle but God we've true that we, we choose to find peace in you Pray this in your precious name. Amen. 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 God bless. God bless. At this time I'm just going to invite some of our board members up before I come and give a final dismissal. They have a small presentation.